Psalm 128, 128. Blessed is every one that feareth the Lord, that walketh in his ways. For thou shalt eat the labor of thy hands. Happy shalt thou be, and it shall be well with thee. Thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine by the sides of thy house. Thy children like olive plants round about thy table. Behold, that thus shall the man be blessed that feareth the Lord. The Lord shall bless thee out of Zion, and thou shalt see the good of Jerusalem all the days of thy life. Yea, thou shalt see thy children's children in peace upon Israel. Let's pray. Lord God, as we look at William Guja's teachings now on child-rearing, we pray that it will be very helpful, not just to young parents or older parents, but also to grandparents as we seek to guide children and grandchildren in the ways of the Most High God. Give us wisdom flowing out of Guja's wisdom, which in turn flows out of biblical wisdom in these moments. In Jesus' name, amen. <coughs> okay, there's a few outlines here. If you, This is the same outline we've been looking at the last two times, and but... If you haven't been here, you can help yourself to one or if you need one. Um, so what I want to do now is we looked at Guja's example and his life and a happy marriage. And then we looked at the second time mutual duties of husbands and wives and their individual duties. And now we're going to look uh, on the backside of the outline at Guja on the beauty and glory of raising children. I've got three simple thoughts, the foundation of parenting, the spirit of parenting, and the tasks of parenting. And uh, the first thing I need to say about, about Guja, and this applies to all Puritans, is that children are a huge, huge blessing from the Lord. Uh, what, you, what you find non-existent in all the books of parenting uh, about children is the idea that children are a burden. I know children have a lot of cares <laughs> and sometimes you can pull your hair out when you're parenting and you, you just, you, well, I was just saying to one of you, uh, w when you're young and you've got children, you, you say, I need all the help I can get. Yes, but... That doesn't take away from the fact children are a huge blessing of the Lord. The opening of the womb, and Guj makes much of that, is the gift of God. The gift of God. Just visit people sometimes who can't have children. What a burden that is. What a burden that is. And in Israel, of course, the barren womb was considered a judgment of God. So, Next time you're ready to get frustrated with one of your kids, just stop and think a moment. This child's a gift of God. This child's a gift of God. And what the Puritans would say is when you get frustrated, when you get upset, when it seems impossible, when you're overwhelmed, you just remember this. I will keep on doing the right thing. And God will bring me through this stage 
with this child, if I keep on doing the right thing, humanly speaking, almost all the time, I won't say all the time because there can be some really rebellious kids, but God will bring me through this stage and there'll be better days ahead. So don't be overwhelmed when your child enters into a stage that is not pleasant. But uh, persevere, remembering always they are the gift of God. So the Puritan mindset would be like this. Tremendous responsibility. Oh, yes, they've got a never-dying soul. You're dealing with something more valuable than all the, all the possessions in the world. Tremendous blessing. God is loaning that child to you to raise in the fear and nurture of the Lord. What a blessing to have that responsibility. So they both come together. Heavy responsibility, heavy blessing, and heavy joy. Even though children can be a trial at times, they also bring you a lot of joy, don't they? A lot of joy. So, treasure. Treasure your children. They are the gift of God. That's number one. Number two, the spirit of parenting. It's interesting that Guj says that you must raise your children. I, I love this combination. With a mixture of authority and affection, authority and affection, which moves children, he says, to respond with fear and love, which is exactly what you want to cult cultivate in them, a childlike fear where they reverence you, but also where they have love for you. That's the response when you exercise authority, saying to your children, I, I'm I am to raise you on behalf of God. You are to obey me, but you also bestow upon them, Gooch calls it affection. I, I would call it love. Love. And uh, I have um, maybe said this before in a class years ago. I can't remember, but I've said it a few places. My, my brother and sister-in-law who have 13 children and uh, <laughs> did, I mean, it was overwhelming sometimes for them. But what my wife and I talked about quite often, because our kids were younger and we were watching them, said, do you, do you notice what they have? They've got this, especially my sister-in-law, she's got this authority. Boy, you, you, don't, you don't mess with her. I mean, she's, when she says something, she means it. But at the same time, she's got this powerful, powerful love. Um, even older children would just come and sit on her lap and she'd be rubbing their back as she's talking. Just, I mean, just powerful eyes, literally, that would say, don't you dare. <laughs> but powerful eyes of love. And that combination of authority and affection Think about that. That was, that was what Guj is saying. Biblically, we're called, we're called to follow. So when you have this combination of authority and affection, it doesn't mean you get angry. 
You exercise your authority, but you do it on the basis of God's word. You exercise your authority with a calm, maybe an earnest voice in certain situations, but you don't get angry. You don't get angry. That is never of the Lord. But you, you have to tell your children, they have to obey you. They have to obey you. You're, you're in God's stead. And you make mistakes. You're a sinner too. You need the Lord too, yes. But they're called to obey you. And they must. And as a father, you must, you must, be, you must see to it that your kids have respect for your wife. They're with the children the most. They can take their mother for granted. You can't let that happen. Can't let that happen. My, my dad used to always say to us, you can never do enough to repay your mother. What was he doing? He was telling us, respect your mother. She's done so much for you. And when your mother, when your wife is not respected by your kids, a lot of the blame lies on you, Dad, because you are to insist on that. You're, you're to treat that like a major sin. They're to, honor, they're to honor their father and their mother, not just you as, as a father. Now, what Gooch stresses is that we must stress with our children. They must obey us from the heart. Now, that's the challenge. It's not just the outward obedience. If they don't learn to obey their parents from the heart, as soon as their parents are gone, they're going to go in the ways of misbehavior. And so that's why it's so important to also train them with affection and love, that they can feel that the rules of the house are not just rules to be broken and not just rules to be a burden, but they're rules given in love so that the children may grow up in the fear of the Lord. So Gooch says, you must expect your children to honor you in posture, in gestures, and even in facial expressions. So it's one thing to say, children, it's time for supper. Come now. All right. And big growl on the face. No, no, no. Son, it's time to come for supper now. Come with a cheerful face. You're going to receive the gifts of God. You see, it's not just you're satisfied with obedience outwardly. You're training the heart, Good says. That's, that's what's important. So, children must never be rude, he says, to their father or to their mother, but they must obey them from the heart. And what Guja is saying is that the phrase in the Lord, Ephesians 6 verse 1, children you must obey your father and mother in the Lord, governs the whole aspect of obedience. He says the phrase in the Lord puts forth a limitation, a direction, and a motivation. It limits children to obey by the laws of Christ. It directs them to obey their parents with an eye to Christ, and it motivates them 
by the fact that their parents exercise authority as those who bear the image of Christ. See how it's all Christological. Limitation, direction, motivation. Let me say it again. You limit children's obedience by the laws of Christ. You're directing them to obey their parents with an eye to Christ, and you're motivating them by the fact that their parents exercise authority as those who bear the image of Christ. So in other words, a summary of this is you're teaching your children that you're not just simply ruling. I, I hate the expression when the kids say, why can't I do that, Dad? Well, just because I say so. That's a bad. Or just because I want you not to do that. That's a bad, no. We do not rule our children according to our feelings. We rule our children to serve God. The real answer is because God wants you to do this and God doesn't want you to do this and I'm trying to guide you in the ways of God to the best of my ability. So honor, honor your father and mother. Uh, there's just so much to say there and Guj says a lot more than I can say in this class. But he's saying parental authority is a skeleton and backbone that structures the raising of children the skeleton and the backbone, parental authority, and the love, the affection, is the living flesh and blood that goes on the skeleton. So Gooch says, the fountain or source of all that parents should do must be love, must be love. And since God has planted love for children in parents by nature, a Christian parent should turn this fire, fan this fire into flame and should love his children in Christ the way a secular parent never could. All right, that's just a little bit about the spirit of parenting, authority and love. Now, what about the task of parenting? Here, I'll, I'll move quickly. There's uh, about a dozen things that I'm drawing out of, out of his, out of his uh, work that are major points. Number one, prayer. You've got to pray for your children daily, he says. Prayer is the first and the last duty which parents ought to perform for their children. That's a quote. The first and last duty. There's nothing that parents can do for their children more to do their children, I'm sorry, to do their children more good, he says, than prayer. You should pray for your children before they're born, when they're in the womb. You should pray for them all their lives, like Job. And remember all the while that God is a covenant-keeping God who loves to bless the children of believers. That one sentence is a goldmine. Remember all your lifetime that God is a covenant-keeping God who loves to bless the children of believers. So press on. Praying. Number two, walk in godliness for God's blessing upon your children. Psalm 112, verse 2 says, His seed shall be mighty upon the earth, for the generation of the upright 
shall be blessed. You see, when you walk with God yourself, that's one of the most powerful things in the life of a child. I was in Italy once, and I uh, was talking to about 200 ministers, and I asked them this question. Somehow I was talking about mothers at some point in my talk, and I said, how many of you have been influenced greatly in spiritual things by your mother? Just raise your hand. And it was like you could hear the noise. Everybody raised it. I looked around. I mean, I suppose there were a few that didn't raise their hand, but it looked to me from the podium like everybody raised their hand. I thought, wow, what an encouragement to mothers. These guys are all ministers called by God to preach the gospel. Who's one of their major influences? My mother. My mother. This is the big deal. When you walk godly before your children, as a mother and as a father, your children will have impressions, even if they disregard them, even if they become rebellious, they can't erase it from their memory bank. And sometimes the Lord will even come back in their adult years and bring them back because they realize the emptiness of life without the Lord. So we can't save our children by our faith, but many blessings can accrue to our children and God can use by His Spirit our walk of life as the means of their conversion. Number three, care for your children in the womb. Um, Gooch says, the pregnant woman should have a special care for her child as soon as she knows she's pregnant. And fathers must be tender over their wives and help them, help them in all things needful when they are with child. Four, nurture your children in infancy. Gooch writes, <laughs> this is kind of sweet. He says, what the particulars are for how women handle their children in infancy? Women can better know themselves than I can express. <laughs> There's a way, in other words, with a mother and a very young infant that we men just can't quite fathom. There's a bonding experience that's absolutely beautiful. Beautiful. One of my most sacred moments in life is when the medical team hands the baby to my wife, the newborn, and you, you witness that bonding. It's almost like we men are then outside the inner circle. It's just so sacred. Sacred. Beautiful. And that kind of nurturing, of bonding, and, and Gooch ties it with the natural food that God gives to a mother to feed the child, to increase that bonding. He actually goes so far as to say this, that when a child is very, very young, just like the first couple months, the best thing a father can do is support his wife because a father doesn't have the gifts to support that little newborn the way a mother does. But as soon as a child 
begins to grow up, then, of course, the father gets very involved with the child as well. But that first couple months, a mother can have a lot of emotional needs, a lot of hormonal changes, and she needs her husband to be there for her. So you're actually helping the child when you help your wife. That's the point he's making. Four um, or five, have your children baptized. Guj, like 99% of the Puritans, were, was, was paedo-baptist, believed in the covenant promises being transferred from generation to generation, that that's God's normal way of working, and that baptism came in the place of circumcision, and that baptizing your children is not sufficient for salvation, and you don't baptize them because you presume they're regenerated. They need to be born again. But Guj is stressing here God's covenantal continuity. And when your children are baptized, as they grow up, you can speak to them about it, that God has put His name side by side with your name. He's willing to be your God. He's calling you to repent. He's calling you to believe in Christ alone for salvation, etc. Uh, you can tell them, you're separated from the world now because you're baptized. You have no business joining them with worldly sinful activities, going into sinful places. You're baptized. You're set apart. You're, you're greatly privileged. But you need to, as the Puritans would say, improve your baptism. And you improve it by fleeing to the Lord, repenting, believing in Him, following Him. So have your children baptized. Six. Provide your children with necessities for health. And here he talks about in some detail about food and clothing and medical care and, and, and recreation and so on. Explains how boys and girls need to have time to play and um, talks about don't pamper them excessively or uh, allow them to be trapped in immaturity by letting them just play their life away. That really applies today. Parents let their kids play for seven hours a day on video games. And, and no, 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 Gooch would say. You, you're training them, molding them all the time for, for adult life. But, but children must play. So there's a balance there. Number seven, give your children a good moral education. You teach them not only about Christ and things spiritual, but you also teach them about moral morality and um, uh, how to, how to behave in their whole course of life. You teach them about good manners. You teach them about the outward beauty of a well-ordered life that reflects inward grace. Um, you teach them how not to be rude to people, how to be courteous, how to be kind, how to meet people, how to converse with people. Uh, there's all kinds of moral things that we need to teach our children. Number eight, give your children a good vocational education. Um, a good part of parenting, Good says, is you need to train your son, your daughters, how to, how to support themselves in life, how to develop a, a good vocation, especially the young men. Um, and that you want your son to be able to make enough money not only to supply himself, but just like the wedding form says, that was, that was big because there were so many poor people, that you have an, a little bit of an overflow so you can assist the poor. 
You can assist the poor and indigent in time of need. Remember that in the wedding form? That's the man's duty. Um, so they make more of that perhaps today than we would. But also, um, you want them to have a good vocational education so that they can glorify God in body and in mind with the vocation they're called to. And that they feel that a vocation, a job, is not just a job. It's a vocatio, a calling. A calling. That they are bound in duty to glorify God in doing. Number nine, you train your children in godliness. Godliness. That's what the word in, in the admonition of the Lord in Ephesians 6 verse 4 is talking about. He said all the learning, all the moral training, all the civility, all the uh, uh, vocation training, it's all nothing without godly piety. So fathers, he says, have a special responsibility to maintain family devotions so the family prays and sings psalms or reads the word together. Fathers to teach the Bible to the children with the help of his wife. With Here's what he says. With forceful and frequent applications to fix and settle biblical truth in the mind of their children. Children are not born Christians, but they have hearts inclined to evil. And so it's not the minister's job, but your job as a father and as a mother to train them diligently in the ways of the Word of God. And then he goes on to talk about what I've talked to you about in other classes, about how the father is to be a prophet, a priest, and a king in his own house, um, teaching his children the ways of God. Number 10, you're to discipline your children with rebuke and the rod. With rebuke and the rod. Uh, first, with rebuke. You do the rebuke and the rod in proportion to the degree of moral offense, the moral offense that has been committed. So you don't overly punish, but there's times you need to rebuke. Not angrily, but you need to say this is wrong and this needs to change. And you get a commitment of repentance and a promise to change. And if that's forthcoming, you don't need to use the rod. If that's coming sincerely. If, however, it's fake, and you can know kind of when it's fake most of the time, um, you need to talk some more. And if that does not bring the child to the right place, I'm talking about a young child now, like say seven or eight and, and younger, then you need to tell them, I'm going to spank you once or twice, uh, depending on the moral offense. And you lay the child across your lap and you, and you spank. You do it privately. You maintain the dignity of the child. And then you embrace the child and you pray together and you get a promise from the child that he will seek God's help not to do this again. That type of thing. So people sometimes think that the Puritans were really hard on their kids. I've read all these books on, their di on discipline. They seem very middle of the road. They actually warn against ever striking a child to the point that some, a, a mark would remain on the child's body. They say that's too strong. 
but they say there is a place on the human anatomy, which is the rear end, that is fitting place to receive a spanking. And sometimes a child will need a spanking. Um, so th there's a balance there that is really good. Uh, number 11. You provide means to your children to get started in their vocations and families. Provide means. So, in other words, you help them. You help them launch out like in a boat from the shore of life. You, you give that boat a push out into the, out into the lake um, and help them get going. This doesn't just mean you, you give them a lot of money so they get going, but it means you, you help them. You help them find work or you help them decide on an occupation. You're involved in the major decisions of their life and you talk with them about these things. And that relates to number 12 as well. Um, you seek to help your children find good spouses. This is something that's really downplayed today, and the Puritans made a big deal of it. Um, Gooch gives five major criteria to help when you talk with your children about would this be a good spouse for you as a young man or you as a young woman. You ask yourself these five questions. Would the proposed spouse walk with their son or daughter with wisdom and genuine godliness in marriage? Number two, would the proposed spouse fit the biblical description of what a marriage partner is to be? Did the proposed husband have good leadership skills and a loving demeanor? Did the proposed wife show submission and reverence to her own father? Number three, was the proposed spouse mature and properly motivated for entering into marriage? It was necessary to avoid marrying out of wrong motivations. Number four, was the proposed spouse fairly equal to their son or daughter in terms of class and financial resources? Um, the Puritans took up the, the phrase, don't be unequally yoked with someone, to be not only unequally spiritually yoked, but they said, as a general rule, it's dangerous for a low-class person to marry a high-class person because their worlds are so different. There'll be struggles in the marriage. Now, in our American system, I know we move from class to class pretty easily, but in the Puritan world, you usually stayed in the same class where you were. That, hence, hence that question. And number five, was the proposed spouse somewhat attractive in the eyes of their son or daughter? Somewhat. Because they believe that love is something that grows primarily in marriage. Now, there must be some sparks of attraction. But the idea that the main thing about the person is that she's extremely beautiful or he's extremely handsome, Puritans would say, that's crazy. Because if you don't have the other things in order, a very beautiful woman will become ugly in a bad marriage. And a very handsome man will become ugly in a, in a, in a bad marriage. So that's how they were involved with their kids. And they would talk. Even the brothers and sisters would often get involved talking about, is this a good person or is that a good person? They would never date just to date. It was always before you even went out with someone one time. And you would go to each other's families first, not down some lonely road and start making out on your first date. No, no. You'd go to each other's families and they'd test each other. And after the person was brought back home, then they would talk around as a family. Now, what do you think? You think... This person has these qualities. And brothers and sisters would join in. So they took it very seriously. And uh, the whole family is involved. Because the Puritans had the wisdom to realize that when you marry someone, you marry into their family as well. 
All right. Conclusion. My time is gone. <laughs> anyway, those are the main teachings of, of, of Guj. I hope you enjoyed these lessons from him. Let's pray. Gracious God, I pray that we would really apply these lessons to our lives, the hearts of our children, their minds, their upbringing, and our grandchildren. Please let these lessons on Guj remind us of the major things we're called to do, and may we focus on those and not worry so much about minor idiosyncrasies. Help us to raise our children and grandchildren in the fear and the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.